Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Mark 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, Satan, a wilderness, 40 days, and no food? Nothing good could come from that elongated encounter, or could it? If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship, go to rfamarillo.org. As Easter is approaching, we're going to start a new little mini-series that's going to focus on Jesus. Now, that's nothing new. We focus on Jesus every week. It's all about Jesus all the time. In fact, part of our vision statement is to exalt Christ. And If you've forgotten the vision statement or if you're new enough and not heard it, we have a four-part vision statement, which is we desire everyone to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. And so we always exalt Christ as part of what we do and who we are. But in this series, I wanna take a more specific look at three very specific events in the life of Jesus as we move toward Easter. So this morning, we're gonna look at the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. Next week, we're going to look at the last words of Jesus on the cross. And then in two weeks, that is Easter, obviously we're gonna look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me invite you to look at Luke chapter four. Luke four gives us a a good detailed description of what took place in the uh, wilderness temptations. Matthew and Mark also give an account of that event that we'll we'll note um, a little bit as well. But we all face temptations. And so hopefully going through this this morning will help give us some insight and help as we see how Jesus dealt with temptations and we can make some applications. So let's look at Luke chapter four, verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. When it says he led, we're not talking physically. Okay, we're talking there's a spiritual dynamic that, he's, that they're seen together. Stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him for an opportune time. When, when a person is being attacked, there's really, I guess, three responses for that person being attacked. One, they can just do nothing, just kind of stand there and let that attacker just beat the daylights out of them. A second option is you could defend yourself somehow, cover your face, cover your body, try to take those blows, but defend yourself the best way you can. A third option, though, is to get on the offensive and start to fight back and attack back. When I was in eighth grade, 
for some reason, some kids decided that he was gonna target me and pick on me. He was just a little bit bigger than I was. I have no idea why he targeted me, but uh, over a period of a few weeks, it was obvious that his goal was to intimidate me and embarrass me and humiliate me and just target me. Today, we'd call it bullying. Back then, we didn't really have a name for it. We just, this guy was picking on me. So for a couple of weeks, he would just do random stuff, either saying stuff to me or doing stuff to me, and I just kind of took it, never really responded, didn't, didn't really do anything. But um, it began to escalate, and for some reason in this class, our teacher one day had both of us go run an errand, take books or something somewhere. So we ran that errand together, and coming back, we're walking down the hall in a couple of these classrooms, their doors were open. So we get to that first classroom, and I'm not expecting it, I'm not ready for it. He decides he's gonna try to push me into that classroom, so we get across the door, and he just shoves me as hard as he can, and I go flying toward the classroom. Thankfully, I was able to stop myself before I went into the class. We walk a little bit down the hall. We get to a second one. This time I'm ready. He tries it again, so he tries to push me, but I brace myself, and so he's not able to push me. Well, we get to the class. Nothing really happens the rest of that day, but the next day, the teacher, the same teacher, has to leave the classroom for a few minutes, so, he, so she just leaves the class empty without any adult supervision in eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> So this guy gets up, he sits in the back of the class in the back corner. I'm on the very front row, because Anderson, I'm always on the very front row, so I'm sitting here on the very front. So he comes up here at the back and he starts to get in my face and I'm sitting down in my chair and he's standing over me and he's picking on me, he's calling me names, he's doing stuff, he's hitting me, he's doing all kinds of stuff. And the whole class is watching. So he's trying to intimidate me and embarrass me, humiliate me, the whole class is watching. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm taking it, I'm taking but uh, as he's doing all that stuff, I see him take out of his pocket this leather strap. And so I think immediately he's fixing to hit me over the face with that leather strap. Sure enough, he starts to wind down. And so I'm able to, I, I, I stop him, I block him, I hit his arm and it hits it so hard it sends the, the leather strap flying. It hurts his arm, so he gets so mad. I'm still sitting down, he pushes me in the desk. And that was it. I come flying out of the desk and I'm so mad, I push this kid so hard he goes flying five feet into the chalkboard in the front of the classroom. He comes back in my face, he said, we're gonna fight. I said, bring it. <laughs> I'm just a little kid, you know, I'm not a big, but, I, but I've had enough, I said, bring it. He said, not here, we'll get in trouble. He said, after school, I'm fighting you. I said, okay, after school. He said, meet me over here after school. And I said, well, I can't meet right after school. I've got basketball practice. But I'll meet you right after basketball practice right out here and we're gonna duke it out. Well, I get through with basketball practice and I'm, I'm walking out and I'm expecting this guy to be here. And I walk out, nobody's there. I don't know if he thought I was gonna bring the whole basketball team with me or not. I don't know what he thought, but he wasn't there. The next morning or the next day in school, he wasn't in class. The next day after that, he wasn't in class. Finally, he's back in class a few days later, but he never talked to me again. He never picked on me again. He never did anything to me again. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I just know he quit picking on me. For some reason, when I read through the temptations, that story came to my mind. But I, I guess I had this little image that here's Satan. He's gonna try to intimidate and embarrass and dominate and humiliate Jesus Christ. 
So he's getting up in his grill and he's gonna try to get Jesus to fall. And here's the story that we see here in the temptation. So what I wanna do this morning is walk through the temptations, see what Jesus did, just see what happened in that storyline and then draw some application because as I mentioned, we all face temptations. And so hopefully this will give us some help in how we can deal with it. Verse two, it says for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. Now, some suggest that Jesus was in the wilderness with God for 40 days, and it was just a Jesus-God kind of encounter. At the end of the 40 days, Satan jumps in, and he tempts Jesus with these three temptations. I don't think that's the scenario. I think the scenario is, for 40 days, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. I think from day one, Satan was in his face, just tempting, tempting over and over and over and over, just a constant barrage of temptations throughout the 40 days. But he's getting nowhere. Jesus is not succumbing. Satan's not having any progress whatsoever. So he comes to this pinnacle point where he said, nothing's working. So he holds the last three, the most enticing temptations he can think of for Jesus. He holds them with this last ditch effort to try to get Jesus to sin. And those are the three that we see in scripture. And here's the first one, verse two, it says that Jesus is very hungry. So verse three, Satan plays on that. And he says, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Now in English, this word if means maybe, maybe not. Could be, I'm not certain, I'm not sure. So if you are, but in Greek, that word actually means since. So he's really saying, since you are the son of God. Remember, he knows exactly who Jesus is. He's Lucifer in heaven. He was with the pre-incarnate Christ in glory. He knows exactly who this is. So really what he's saying is, since you're the son of God, since you can do the miraculous, since you can do this, Jesus, turn the stone to bread. So the temptation for Jesus is twofold. One, remember he's hungry. So it's to feed his flesh, to meet that temporal need. After all, what's wrong with having food? There's nothing wrong with eating. So why don't I just turn the stone to bread? But there's a, a more global temptation as well. And that's he could just feed mankind. A lot of hungry, starving people in the world, even in Jesus's day. So if he did this miracle, he could actually just make that his ministry and I'll turn stone to bread and I'll be able to feed people. So really from, from Satan's perspective, he's trying to play on both of these accounts. One, he's gonna try to get Jesus to succumb to his own flesh and, and eat and provide his physical need some way. But if that can't get him, maybe a more noble cause will get him. He, he can feed everybody. But what's Jesus' response in verse four? He says, man does not live by bread alone. The Matthew account adds, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But he prefaces that with it is written. He's actually quoting from De Deuteronomy 8, chapter three, quoting this passage. So he comes back with the word and he says, man does not live by bread alone. So really what's taking place is this temptation for him to meet a physical need. But Jesus realizes two things, why he doesn't succumb to the temptation. Number one is he knows that the spiritual appetite must be greater than our physical appetite. Our appetite for God and to know God and to do the will of God has to be greater than any physical, temporal need that I may be experiencing. Plus, I'm not gonna meet my needs my own way. 
I'm gonna allow God to be the provider of that need. But secondly, he understands that man's greatest need is not food because man's greatest problem is not hunger. It's to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He could have filled people's bellies, but their soul is still gonna be empty. So Jesus does not succumb to that first temptation. We see a second one mentioned in verse five. In essence here, Satan says, worship me and you can have everything. All the kingdoms. Satan knows that Jesus is wanting to set up a messianic kingdom, that he's gonna rule this kingdom. So basically what Satan says is if you will worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms and everybody will fall down and worship you. Now we know in scripture that multiple places Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. So Satan had some delegated authority in this place. So he had the ability to, to hand this stuff to Jesus. So he simply says, hey, if you'll worship me, I know you want people to fall and worship you. So if you'll just bow to me, then I'll give all the kingdoms and all the people to you and everyone will fall down and worship you. Here's the problem with that. Everyone would be worshiping Jesus, but Jesus would be worshiping Satan. And for Jesus, that means a surrender to Satan rather than a defeat of Satan. And that might mean that, that people might be saved militarily, which is what the Jews thought all along, but they would not be saved eternally or spiritually. So he comes back with this response. Again, he says, it is written. He said, I won't fall and worship you because scripture says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he throws Deuteronomy 6.13 at him. Here's the third temptation. Verse nine, again, in their mind, he takes them to Jerusalem, takes them to the temple, walks him to the highest point in the temple and just says, jump. Just jump. Because when you jump, the angels are gonna catch you and they're gonna bring you safely and everybody's gonna see that. Basically, what he's telling Jesus is, wow the crowd. Do the miraculous, do something amazing, do something spectacular and let everybody know who you are, what you can do and what you're capable of. Just wow them. But what does Jesus say? Verse 12, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, quoting from Deuteronomy again. This is the image I have of like this bully with me. Finally, you come to this place of bully, you've been coming at me enough and enough, enough's enough, it stops now. We're, we're going at it. This is, I think here we see Jesus finally has said, hey, we're done. <laughs> I've allowed you to come after me and come at me and come at me and come at me. We're done. Do not test the Lord. And what does it say in verse 13? It says Satan left. Jesus said, we're done. So Satan leaves. Now he comes back for an opportune time, which is another story. But it's interesting with this encounter between Satan and and Jesus, the temptations, it raises several questions for me. Here's, here's a couple of those questions. Number one, were these real temptations? I mean, was Jesus really tempted? After all, he's God incarnate. So is he even actually being tempted at all? Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So that passage says we're tempted in every single way. He was tempted in every way 
that we are. That's why I think, again, Satan for 40 days is just coming after him, coming after him, coming after him because he's been tempted, gets this whole gamut of temptation. He's weak, but he doesn't sin. And the passage says he's yet without sin. That raises another question. Could Jesus have sinned? Could Jesus have even, he's God. <laughs> so is this really a temptation? Could he have even sinned in the first place? Well, part of that answer is in this passage and in this description, yet was without sin. Some scholars say, no, Jesus couldn't have sinned. He's God. And so they take the interpretation that says, not able to sin, that Jesus was not able to sin. But other scholars will say, yes, he could have sinned because he's 100% humanity and 100% deity. So he has both. So yes, he could have sinned. And they interpret the passage, which would be the way I interpret this passage, which means not, he's not able to sin, but he's able not to sin. Get the difference? It's not he's not able to sin. It's he's able not to sin. So he was tempted in his humanity, but he was able not to sin because of his connection with the Father, because of his dependence on the Father, because of this oneness that he has with the Father, because of that connection, he was able not to sin. Now, from Satan's perspective, though, the essence of these temptations was to derail Jesus, to sidetrack Jesus, to get Jesus off course, to get Jesus to do something out of God's plan and out of God's design to keep him from fulfilling God's purpose for his life. Now that raises a third question in my mind. And that is, did Satan know God's plan and means of salvation when he's tempting Jesus? Did Satan know that he was going to be the one crucified to die for our sins, take our place and die in our place. Did Satan know that when he's encountering Jesus? Well, again, there's some scholars that say yes, because he knew the sacrificial system. He knows the passage from Hebrews that says there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. He knew all the prophetic texts in the Old Testament. And if he didn't know, then why is he tempting Jesus in the first place? If he didn't know his plan, he wouldn't be tempting him. So he had to know the plan. Other scholars will say, no, he didn't know the plan because he's not omniscient. And even though he was in heaven with God beforehand, that doesn't mean he knows everything that was going on. God didn't necessarily tell him everything about the plan. Plus, if he did, then why did he use Judas later to send Jesus to the cross to die on the cross if he knew that was the plan? Now, that's just extra, just chew on that. It, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but here's what we know for sure. That is that Satan wanted to cause Jesus to quit trusting in his father, to separate that connection, to get him to buy into the lies of Satan, to sin and to ruin whatever plan God had for his life. And that's the exact same plan he has for you. When he comes against you in temptation, that's the exact thing he is trying to do. Satan does not know exactly what God has for you. 
Satan doesn't know all the specific details of God's plan and purpose and how he's gonna use you and what he's gonna do through you. He doesn't know the specifics, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to destroy God's plan in your life. So he brings the temptations to try to derail you and to sidetrack you and get you to quit trusting in your father and succumb to his lies. With that in mind, let's finish up with some applications. How can we be successful in fighting temptation the same way Jesus was? Well, let me give you six applications real quick. Here's number one. Combat Satan's temptations the same way Jesus did. Follow Jesus' example. How did Jesus fight the temptations? It was through the Spirit and through the Word. If you look in verse one, it says Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And then all three of his responses, it said, it was written, it is written. In other words, he was full of the Word. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of the Word of God. And those were the two power sources that were enabled Jesus to combat and resist temptation. The same thing is true for us. So when we encounter the temptations of Satan, we have to use those same power sources. That's why we talk so much about being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the power of the Spirit in us as we allow him to, to get more and more of us that we have the power to resist those temptations and we combine that by being full of the word of God. That means we've got to know the word. We've got to study the word. We've got to memorize the word. We've got to put the word of God in our heart. The best way to spot a lie is to know the truth. And if you know the truth, then when Satan comes with his lies, regardless of how appealing it seems, regardless of how good it sounds, because Satan used scripture against Jesus, he just twisted it. So he does the same thing with us. He can come and twist scripture and make things sound very good and very appealing. But if we know the truth, then we're able to resist the temptation. So use the spirit and the, and the word against the temptation. Here's a second one. Temptations come often after spiritual highs. And we've, talked, we've touched on this a few weeks ago, so I'm not gonna belabor it, but here's the main point here that I think is intriguing. Satan does not want you to get on a roll. Satan does not want you to gain momentum. Satan does not want you to experience victory after victory after victory after victory. Satan does not want you to get excited about your relationship with Christ. Satan does not want you to get fired up and be out there being used by God. So he's gonna do whatever he can to stop it and to thwart it and to put a stop to that momentum. So that's why he comes to tempt you. So if you're getting on a roll and you're getting excited and you're getting fired up and God's really doing some things in your life, you can expect the temptations to come at that point because he's gonna try to stop it. He's gonna try to throw water on it and put it out. So there are times if you feel like you're being tempted more than normal, you feel like he's just really coming after you, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's probably because you're doing something right. So keep doing it and keep resisting. Here's a third application. God's way is sometimes, I won't say all the time, but God's way sometimes is the most difficult path. When you have two roads to go, oftentimes God's plan and God's way is the more difficult road. 
You see, in this temptation, Satan's offering an easy way out for Jesus. Hey, you want to be worshiped? You want to have people follow you? You want to set up a kingdom? Okay, just worship me. Turn the stones to bread. That way you don't have to suffer. You don't have to struggle. Nothing bad has to happen. It's an easy way out. But Jesus knew that was not God's plan. God's plan was the hardest way. God's plan was going to the cross, was suffering. It was becoming sin for us. It was becoming our sin offering. It was the hardest path to take. But Jesus knew that's the path that I've got to take. Temptation, part of Satan's temptation is trying to get you to take the easy way out. At least immediately it seems easier. So again, if you're experiencing some difficult days, you feel like you're trying to follow God, but man, it's tough. That's right, it's tough. Because sometimes when we follow God and his plan, it's gonna be the hardest road, but ultimately it's gonna be the most successful, the most rewarding of the paths. Here's the fourth one. And we all know this, I just wanna remind you. Nothing coming from Satan is good. Nothing Satan offers is good. Doesn't matter how appealing it looks. It doesn't matter how attractive it looks. It doesn't matter how fun it seems. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. He is an angel, mas- or he's a deceiver masquerading like an angel of light. Not- he is never looking out for your good. He never has your profit in mind. He never is offering anything that's going to benefit you. I don't care what the temptation feels like or seems like at the point of temptation. He has nothing but destruction planned for your life. So when you face those temptations, you have to know that. Because At the end of that bait, there's a hook at the end of the line. It doesn't matter how appealing that bait looks. With that little piece of cheese, there's always this little lever hanging on that you may not can see, but you jump on the cheese and the lever jumps on you. It always ends in destruction. It doesn't matter how appealing it looks. So don't forget that. And here's number five. Resistance to temptation. Resistance is tough but it's possible. This is the good news. Resistance isn't easy. All of us have been tempted and we could give testimony to this today. All of us could stand up and say, this temptation is hard. We could all confess how difficult temptation is to resist at times, but it's possible. And we have to remember in the midst of temptation, we do not have to yield. We do not have to succumb. Just like Jesus, we can resist that temptation if we're willing to stand our ground. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out. It's like an open door that when you see the temptation, I don't have to yield to him. God provides this open door for me to escape from that temptation. How? By enabling me to stand up under it. He gives me the ability through his spirit and through his word 
to resist that temptation. James 4, 7 gives us a pattern for resistance. It says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It's a pattern. Submit yourselves to God. Resistance of temptation is impossible apart from submission to God. There's no way you're gonna resist temptation in your life if you're not submitting your life to God. Submitting yourself, your plan, your will, your way, your stuff to say, God, I'm yours, whatever you want, whatever you wanna do, everything I have is yours. I'll do whatever you call me to do. I'm submitting my life to you. That's step one. Resistance to temptation is impossible if you're not willing to submit yourself to God. But the great news is submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil. Just like that bully that tried to push me into the classroom, I stood my ground and resisted. We can resist, we can stand firm using the spirit and using the word, then what happens? Same thing happened with Jesus, he flees. Now he's gonna come back, but he's gonna flee because he realizes he's not getting anywhere. Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself suffered, speaking about Jesus, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We have to understand, as difficult as this may be, understanding that Jesus is 100% humanity, 100% deity, when he's facing these temptations, we have to understand that he was genuinely tempted and he suffered in that temptation just like we do. Therefore, he understands exactly what we are going through in the midst of our temptation. And because of that, he's able to come alongside of us in understanding that, that temptation to empower us, to give us the ability to resist that temptation and stand strong in the midst of it. All we have to do in the temptation is to call his name and say, Jesus, help me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes there are some temptations that are so, so strong. They are so compelling. They are so gripping. They are so binding that you feel like you cannot resist it. You can. All you have to do is shout, Jesus, help me. And he comes alongside through his spirit to empower you to say no to that temptation and to resist it. Here's a final application. And this is kind of a broad application based on what I think is going on essentially in the temptations of Jesus, and that's this. Remember that people's greatest need is Jesus. People's greatest need is Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not food, it's not water, it's not clothing, it's not meeting temporal needs. Now, don't misunderstand me. We should be doing that. <laughs> we should be meeting temporal needs because you give a cup of water in the name of Jesus. We're to visit those in the hospital. We're to, we're to meet temporal needs for people and love them and care for them in their immediate situation. So don't misread me here. But that's not the end game. The end game is that they know Jesus Christ. Because with Jesus, if the end game was just to meet an immediate physical need, he would have turned the stone to bread. He would have bowed down and worshiped Satan. He would have jumped from that temple 
because he could have met an immediate need of every person. But that wasn't the ultimate goal. The end game was for people to be changed through the death and the life of Jesus Christ. And the same is true today. Everything that we do, all the needs that we meet, all the people that we love, everything that we do as a body is good and right, but it's a funnel to the ultimate end. And that's to let them know that Jesus Christ died for them and has a plan and a purpose. And we can know God and we can live with God forever through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to remember that man's greatest need, regardless of what they look like. When you go out in the world, people you, you work with, go to school with, live next to, they may look like they've got it all together. They may look like things are great. They may look like life is perfect. But regardless of what it looks like on the surface, they need Jesus Christ. I'm glad that Jesus did not succumb to temptation. Because if he had, we'd be hopeless and helpless and lost for eternity. But because he's Jesus Christ, he was able to resist. But it gives us a pattern and it gives us hope that we too, when that bully comes pestering us, when that bully comes to try to intimidate us and to dominate his authority over us, when he tries to humiliate us, when he tries to embarrass us, when he tries to derail us, we can know that through the spirit and through the word, God's given us the ability to stand strong and to resist and to continue to live victorious. Would you bow with me? Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.